Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this week's episode. <laughs> We've had a lot of episodes this week <laughs> where we are talking all about The Mandalorian Chapter 15, The Believer, which was written and directed by Rick Femiue. And this was such a good episode. I really enjoyed it. Me? too when that title came up i was like "Ooh, this could get weird forcey and it didn't and it went in a completely different direction than i thought and i'm really excited to talk about it today because i think honestly this title is probably the most interesting title that we've gotten and there's just a lot to unpack yeah that was the thing that i think i left the episode thinking the most about and i really enjoyed it i kind of feel like we should just like die i i don't know what other housekeeping stuff we have at the top of the show this time because you would have heard it in our other episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talking about the uh Disney investors call, <laughs> which is the the shiniest of all <laughs> things that has come out this week. But honestly in a while too, in terms of Star yeah. Wars, it's very yeah. shiny. Yeah. We have we have one more episode left of The Mandalorian this season. I can't believe that. I know, I know. Next week. Next week. I actually can't believe that we're almost done with the series. I feel like we're cooking along and I'm not ready to say goodbye for God knows how long because I don't think the next uh, season has started filming and that it worries me because I'm ready for I I don't know what if this this cliffhanger I just I don't know (laughs) I'm a little nervous when Cheryl and I were talking about season three at the Mandalorian she was like you know I'm just like a little nervous about the schedule like when have they started filming yet I'm like Charlotte what (laughs) I'm so nervous about with the pandemic and everything I feel like Suddenly, filming schedules are very out in the open, and it's like, are they going to be able to do it? Are they not going to be able to do it? And I know that they've started filming on other series, so I'm just awaiting news that The Mandalorian Season 3 will begin shooting soon because we need more. We went through a whole timeline the other day on the phone because we know that Season 1 or Season 2 wrapped up like March 10th is when Season 2 finished. So, you know, they filmed for about three or four months comes out end of October when is the actual when are they actually done with post-production on the episodes I don't know you know but you know Kathy as Kathy pointed out in the investors call Kathleen Kennedy the volume is a complete game changer when it comes to filming for the Mandalorian and filming in the midst of a pandemic so I'm not worried I think I think they know exactly what they're doing and they are taking the necessary precautions that they need to. Yep, you're right. Okay, so I wrote quite a long summary. So (laughs) why don't I dive in? This is the first time I've done the summary. So are we ready? Usually I write the summaries and I keep it pretty high level, like big bullet points. And Charlotte wrote the summary this time and We've got quotes. We've got emojis. We've got instant reactions. We've got a little bit of prose. (laughs) It's fine. fine. So I was like, I think you should do the summary this week. (laughs) Okay. Are we ready? I'm ready. Let's go. Okay. So we open with the TIE Fighter junkyard and Mayfield from Chapter 6 is working in the prison yard. And we see Cara Dune begrudgingly retrieving Mayfield to help Boba, Fennec, and Din break into a secret Imperial mining hub which is, you know, Mayfeld kind of brings that to the table in order to find out where Gideon is. And we see the inside of Slave One and it's like amazingly cool. And I can't wait to see how they did that with the volume because I feel like that was a moment where I was thinking about 
the volume specifically, and we've never seen really the inside of Slave One. I think that in Attack of the Clones, we see Django and Boba inside uh, and <laughs> the seats. That, that's what we see. But this was a little different, so it's been a little modified. Boba has cleaned up his armor. Some arts and crafts have happened, and that's great for him. So happy for him that he has some paint to touch up <laughs> some armor. When they're deciding who's going to go into the Imperial Refinery, Boba says, let's just say they might recognize my face. And it was a funny but um kind of moment because, yeah, the clones... <laughs> <laughs> uh, Din and Mayfield make the choice to go together and drive this like big van, I guess they call it a juggernaut, filled with rhydonium into the refinery. The van drives through small towns, look displaced and amount of big business drilling. Mayfield says invaders on their land are all they are. Um, a chase ensues with pirates and it's pretty tense. It reminded me of Solo's train sequence a bit, but Honestly, maybe this is a little better, though. Inside the Juggernaut, Mayfeld sort of talks to Din about helmets and covering yourself with the undertone of why rule follow. And he brings up choices and beliefs and challenges Din's own rules. And I guess this is a little bit of a foreshadowing for what ha- comes next. Din fights the pirates off and it's really tense and they're saved by TIE fighters in the end. And they become heroes of the Empire in this moment. Once inside, Din and Mayfeld are at odds and are sort of facing a conflict about the fact that the Empire knows Mayfeld's face. So in desperation, Din decides that he will show his face to be scanned by the uh, Imperial Terminal in order to retrieve the information. And then Din takes off his helmet. It's amazing. And he's so cute. And I love him. Din is almost caught, but Mayfeld bails him out. (laughs) And then they say, he says, oh, we call him Brown Eyes. So now Din is also known as Brown Eyes. Din, Mayfeld, and the Imperial officer have to get a drink together. And the officer and Mayfeld have a conversation about sacrifice, death, and quote, the greater good. And then Mayfeld shoots him because he doesn't like the way that the the conversation is going and we'll talk about that later and then they have to shoot their way out mayfield said i never saw your face and they are rescued by the slave one boba does a seismic charge it's amazing and then din and kara forgive mayfield and don't send him out uh send him back to the prison and then din sends gideon a message that's the exact same thing thing gideon said to din in season one about grogu and then the episode is over oh you did it i did it we there's a lot in there. Yeah. Well, this episode is really <laughs> packed. So it is. It is. It's, it's a long episode too. I mean, longer than some of our other episodes. I think. I mean, thirty minutes isn't that long. But I mean, next to because ne- the right season episode one was fifty, like over fifty minutes, right? Mm-hmm. I think, and I don't think anything else. I think this is the next longest episode. Not sure, but I don't remember. Probably. I mean, this was like a standard television size, yeah, which yeah, is forty yeah. minutes. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. So what did you think of this episode? Okay, so the first time I watched it, I liked it, but I didn't love it. The second time I watched it, I loved it. And this is becoming a pattern for me <laughs> with The Mandalorian and just in Star Wars. And I don't know, I, I I liked it. I'm not a huge fan of the Bill Burr character, but I thought the lines that were that Rick wrote for him were really good. And I really liked the conflicts at the heart of this episode and overall i think this is one that i'll be thinking about a lot yeah i think this was the first episode that you didn't immediately love yeah like right off the gate which i was surprised because usually that's me and (laughs) (laughs) i have to rewatch uh for my second viewing and then i get greater appreciation or just solidify my critiques even more (laughs) but this one i left it and was like yes Yes. 
<laughs> and you didn't watch it for a couple hours after I did on Friday. And I was like, oh, my God, please, please, please watch it. Please. <laughs> <laughs> it's always like that. When we don't watch it at the same time, we're just like begging the other person to wake up and watch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I really like this episode, though. I Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of Mayfield when we saw him last season. It was just kind of – he was just a character. I can't say that I really had a – strong opinion on him either way it was just like here's a mouthy prisoner yeah (laughs) so i and i remember last episode thinking why mayfield (laughs) and uh i really enjoyed him this episode i liked the conflict that he presented to din even though so much of his like i think some of the conversations some might argue are heavy-handed on the the topic of identity and belief and stuff like that but i think that the way that's worked into the episode with what they're doing what din ends up having to do in the episode it all flows really nicely for me and i think that the action of this episode the the chase scene with the pirates i loved that whole thing and it's you know, I just think Mayfield is kind of funny in the in the fact that he will just keep talking and talking and talking and talking and then just sits there. <laughs> I just realized that's pretty relatable to me as someone who cannot stand awkward silences on Zooms. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, yeah, it was funny. But I, I really I enjoyed this episode. I will say though, the only downside is that this is our first Grogu list episode. I think I was surprised by that, but I'm actually happy about it because I think it bring, builds a lot of tension about when the next time we're going to see him and it leaves us wanting more of him, you know? Yeah. And what has happened to him? What What is he doing? What is I know what's happening to him with Gideon? I, I'm worried. I'm very concerned. <laughs> I'm, concerned I'm concerned for the child. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm concerned because not seeing him even in the – uh, when Gideon gets the message at the end, I was like, okay, there's hopefully there's not like a lot of changes or some. I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm concerned, a little worried. It's okay. We'll we'll find out next week. But I mean, hopefully, really? I don't know. Yeah, I I was surprised that grief wasn't on this mission too because. Same. You know, it's weird because I I do think it's funny how Grief kind of does this complete 180 from last season of, I'm in charge of the Bounty Hunters Guild. I'm this benevolent mayor of this town now in Navarro. So I I understand him choosing to stay behind on Navarro, but he did have such a warm welcome for Grogu when they came back to Navarro earlier in the season that I would have thought he – would have dropped everything to yeah. go after him. Because even Mayfield is like, what? The baby? <laughs> I know. The little green guy? And <laughs> everyone's like, yes, the little green guy. And he's like, all right. Okay. I think the writing in this episode really hammered home to me that everyone considers Din to be the father of the little green guy. You know, they keep, they say they got his kid. They got, I just feel like it was very, um, over the top about like the the fatherly like we're saving the child his child and I liked that I think Rick did a really good job writing this episode and it solidified to me that I want more people to write these episodes mm-hmm. and I think that Rick's writing has been 
really great so far and also also his directing i mean i thought the angles and the different like camera approaches in this episode i'm not like so good at the mise-en-scene type situation and like understanding camera angles and i don't necessarily notice it i'm sort of finding myself lost in the story but with this one it really stood out to me as different angles as uh, a more fresh take on the the camera i think and it just made me want to see more of Rick's perspectives on The Mandalorian. Because besides the Dave Filoni episode, this was the only one that wasn't written by Jon Favreau. And I I just feel like there was a lot of richness that happened in this episode that The Mandalorian would benefit from different voices and like maybe a writer's room or something, you know? Yeah, I agree. I think this is now our third episode that was directed by Rick. He wrote the pris- – he wrote chapter yes. two. He Did he write all of them? Yes. He wrote um, chapter two. Chapter I think two. he wrote chapter two. He could, John Favreau could have written it and then maybe co-written it. I'm not sure. Yeah, um, and, then, and then The Prisoner he wrote and directed. And yeah. I think John Favreau also co-wrote or like has writing credit on The Prisoner too. But I do get the sense that that's more um, Rick than John. Yeah, I think so too. I think that it's cool now to have these three episodes from Rick uh, within the same series with The Mandalorian and kind of doing these comparisons between them. And it's cool too how his episode tied back to Mayfield from the episode last season that he directed. And then we just have this kind of outlier with <laughs> chapter two, which it's just, I remember I was reading back through our show notes of the Mandalorian Disney gallery where Rick was on it. And John said when they showed, I think a rough cut or something of chapter two, all of the execs were like, that was kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. They were like, Oh, that was, that was a weird one. <laughs> weird one. Yeah. It, it made me respect that episode more. That wasn't my favorite of the season. It was, it was a weird one. I kind of agree with the Disney execs there, but when they said that, I was like, Haha, I like that they're kind of testing <laughs> yeah. the, the genre conventions, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's fun. The episode is called The Believer. And I think we both said at the top of the show that this is the most one of one of, if not the most interesting title that we've had for The Mandalorian, I'd say in both seasons, honestly, because I think all of our other titles have felt pretty obvious right? We have the Jedi, <laughs> the mm-hmm. tragedy, the heiress, um, the sin, the cow, the gunslinger, the prisoner. And uh, we've talked a lot about, we talked a lot about the titles last season, not so much this season, but we have always been big fans of the, you know, the using chapters, also the something, the tragedy. Yeah, the very archetypal um, choices that are happening here that make it feel like a storybook and yeah. everything like that. Yeah, exactly. And I think that this this episode title, The Believer, when we finished the episode, the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, I don't – I don't want to say it wasn't obvious, but I thought about the title a lot more and the nuances to it more than I have for other episodes when it comes to the title of the episode versus what we actually saw on screen. So I think yeah. the question that will probably be leading pretty much our whole discussion this episode is who is the believer? Yeah. Um, who do you think it is? I think I think we see so much of it in this episode from different perspectives, but I think this is 
it all just goes in line with our greater conversation around the series of what will what is din's belief and what how will that be changing through mm-hmm. the series we talk so much about character growth him becoming more dad like to baby yoda recognizing himself as a father um which again i i don't think we're quite there yet other people have but like i said last week i don't know if i think din would call himself baby yoda's dad even after this episode caitlin where he basically sacrifices a lot of his beliefs for that i think i think he will reconcile with that i don't think he realizes that that's what his actions mean Mm -hmm. if that makes sense like he hasn't reflected upon that just yet yeah yeah exactly i don't think he's journaled it out yet (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i i don't know if i fully agree with you there just because i think that he made that choice the moment he said i'll do it i'll show my face because if you know the previous sentence to that conversation was if this doesn't work i'll lose the kid forever you know and i think that it's not just losing losing the kid forever implies losing my child forever you know losing this this role that i've taken on forever so i'm not 100 percent sure i agree with you about that but i do think some reflection is needed i i do agree with that but i think that he has in this episode, there's a sense of acceptance that goes with his own sacrifice. I think I think there is, too. It's interesting because even from the last episode, it was like we see Din convincing himself that he has to say goodbye to Grogu in that opening scene from last week's episode where he's telling Grogu, you know, you'll sit on the seeing stone. You'll get a Jedi. I can't train you, you know, and – it's very much him convincing himself that this is how it needs to go. And I think you're right. You know, he makes the like the ultimate decision in this episode to take off his mask. And I would say probably by the time he gives his speech to Gideon, perhaps he's journaled it out and reflected some <laughs> because he's very confident in what he's telling Gideon in that moment. I think he's so caught up in the moment and the adrenaline and the desperation too. But I don't know if he logically realizes like oh i love grogu yeah i think that we're we're almost there yeah yeah and that's the thing everyone else knows it but i don't think because i think that din would say it's about and that's what's so great about this episode is din would say i agreed my mission is to bring grogu back to the jedi to deliver him to his kind that is my ultimate priority number one but then we've seen throughout this whole season of him also prioritizing comically so at some points the mandalorian creed and now he's had to sacrifice the mandalorian creed for grogu now suddenly that has shifted everything because we've seen uh, din prioritize the mandalorian creed Mm-hmm. Like that's been his top priority. Some of our like the whole episode one was prioritizing the Mandalorian creed about the armor over yeah. Grogu in that moment, over the mission of returning Grogu. So now suddenly it shifted uh, pretty drastically. <laughs> I think it's hard to talk about because it's kind of in motion, but Din has never had to choose really mm-hmm. between the creed and Grogu. Sure, he's maybe prioritize the creed in some instances, prioritize Grogu, but he's never had to blatantly choose between the two. And he made a choice 
this episode. And it's the premise of the whole show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that we can all agree that those priorities and those, those those choices about prioritizing Grogu and him staying together are probably going to be the continuing path that Din is going to be on. Because that's what we want from the audience. That's what the show has sold to us, is that these two belong to each other, you know? And I I feel like we're we're getting there. We need some reflection. We need some, um, I don't know. I feel like th- things about Din's own priorities keep getting revealed to us. And what was so brilliant about this episode and the writing of this episode is that uh, so many different conflicts were at odds with each other and that uh, a character like Mayfeld, which is someone who comes into the story from a past perspective of basically hating Din because Din put him in prison, right? Like <laughs> there's a lot of conflicts there already that were presented and then Basically, Mayfeld is a character who can call Din out on his his beliefs and also call it as it is as someone who's a prisoner and also someone who used to work in the Empire and like has all of these um, grudges and perspectives that we haven't necessarily seen. And this is what like the entire season has been doing, right? We, we're getting new characters introduced that act as foils to to Din to show us how his priorities and everything that din stands for are getting constantly tested and it just continues to move din's character arc forward i felt the closest to din as a character in this episode that i have the entire season yeah i think seeing him actually do it the whole time i was just like this isn't happening he's he's gonna have another way out or something like that but uh, without having to take off his mask But what I liked about this episode is that it was this progression. You know, first it was, uh, we're all going to go in. Then it was, okay, I'm going to keep, I'm going to have a mask on, but it's different. Okay, now I have to take off the mask. And it was just this gradual kind of literal shedding of his armor. Everything that Mayfeld was saying to him this episode was so, like you said, it was calling him out. It was so pointed and him asking, you know, like what 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 even is the creed din you know is it your armor does it have to be mandalorian armor is it the helmet is it not showing your face and he says there's a difference between those two and it is and you know has din already crossed the line he doesn't answer mayfeld back when he asks that Mm -hmm. when he first changes out of the mandalorian armor so i think that i think all of the conversations were really great and there were there was this line to this episode the dialogue in this episode reminded me of a lot of other places of dialogue throughout Star Wars but one of the first one was when they're in the transport initially and Mayfeld says if you're born on Mandalore you believe in one thing if you're born on Alderaan you believe another thing but both of those places don't exist anymore and this kind of realization like what are you like what are you holding on to what is this belief um, that you cling to for your whole life that is kind of making things more difficult for a lot of us, honestly. And then there was a, a line of dialogue, too, from the episode The Prisoner, which is Rex, too, that said they were talking about the Mandalorians, the prisoners, and they said apparently they're the greatest warriors in the galaxy. And uh, someone responds, then why are they all dead? And I remember that line and thinking it was so cryptic and cold and cool, too, and really evocative, I think. And I think it went right along with with Mayfeld's dialogue right here too about those places don't exist anymore. The, the, and the Mandalore doesn't exist anymore when we know that it does, but the culture doesn't, 
And it's strange because we look at someone who's from Alderaan and, you know, reading a book like Leia, Princess of Alderaan, where it really goes through like the culture of Alderaan. And I'm thinking like of the hair braiding techniques, which Mm -hmm. is something that we see in a lot of characters who hail from Alderaan and how we think that carrying on that kind of culture is really important and good. And then we have someone like Din who believes himself to be Mandalorian when maybe he actually isn't. But maybe he still is technically like he's not Mandalorian by birth, but he was Mandalorian by creed, right? But now he's met other Mandalorians who are Mandalorians by birth. And I just, it's all so complicated and I'm kind of talking in circles now about it, but I think that's what it wants you to do. Also, this whole conversation of where's the line of your past or your creed is the most important thing to you until it comes in direct conflict with what you What is actually your number one priority? You just haven't admitted it yet. Yeah. I mean, I think what Mayfeld brings up is an interesting point about like, okay, what's the point of protecting and abiding by something that doesn't really exist anymore? I think that there's a lot of answers to that is number one, to preserve the culture. Number two, to continue it. But number three, it's like maybe things have evolved past that. Maybe it's time to evolve with the time. Maybe it's time to change. Maybe it's time to reflect upon the things of the past and move forward in a in a separate way, in a different way than things have been done in the past because maybe it didn't work before and that was perhaps part of the downfall. I'm not saying that's what happened with Alderaan because I don't think it is at all. But I think this episode is asking you to ask those questions. Specifically, Mayfeld, the character, is asking Din to ask those questions. It's like, what's the point of it all if your beliefs continue to change and mold? Like he says, seems to me your rules seem to change when you get desperate. And it's like, okay, so if if you're desperate and your rules change, then what's the point of preserving this creed that is so rigid, so intense, so limiting to the point where there's all these (laughs) conflicts that come up about showing your face and uh, this sort of... um, moral panic i think about din when he does show his face and there's that exchange later with mayfeld and din when uh mayfeld says i never saw your face you know and basically forgives him for that and uh i think that din really appreciates that but there is definitely that like guilt that is already setting in you know and i do think that what this episode does is definitely challenge those rules of the past and it's like if when can those rules be changed when can they be broken it's very, very interesting. And also, like like you said about how this episode made me think about other parts of Star Wars and different conversations that are happening. And I think something that Star Wars television does particularly well, especially in the animation, is kind of push the the agenda, I guess, of questioning both sides. The conversation with Mayfeld is slightly different than the one with DJ and Finn, because I just think that it's it's we have to bring this up because like is is this moral relativism to say that the new republic is bad and the empire is bad so then they're both bad like is that sort of equivalency fair to say even when the empire is clearly the bad guy or is it enough to just have someone within the story challenge both sides and then we can come out on the on the end and see that the empire is really the bad the the bad guy you know and yes the new republic could be struggling but the empire is taking advantage of that struggle and is hoping to like usurp that struggle when the rest of the galaxy feels like 
it's not working and uh, take advantage of that. And we know that that happens. And I think that there's just like some lines that really blew me away in this episode, which is everyone thinks they want freedom, but what they want is order. And that's what was said by the imperial officer. And I had to pause that and text Caitlin. And I was like, who? I feel like that was uh, really political and really got to the heart of the the evilness, I think, of the Empire. And so in the beginning of the episode, when we see the juggernauts going through the town and you hate the Empire because of everything that they've done in this like secret mining base and everything. But what Mayfeld says is, you know, the New Republic, the Empire, basically, it's all the same. And it's just... Uh, enemy people on their lands. And like, we know that's true. But at the end of the day, and at the end of this episode, we come away from it being like, well, the empire is the evil one. Here, they are the evil. And there really is no equivalency here. There's part equivalency in terms of enemy people on people's land. (laughs) This episode really presented a lot of questions, I think, about the way that we go about thinking about these different sides. Like even you feel for Mayfeld when he says when in that conversation, when they're having a drink, when he basically loses it, when the imperial officer basically excuses the deaths of people who had families and friends who worked in the empire. And I think you can feel sympathy for them. You've brought this up before about how shows like Resistance did a really good job of showing that some people had to work for the Empire and like that's how it was, you know, and that's how it is. And those people deserve a fair shot too because they're just part of an oppressive government, an oppressive situation. But at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, the system is the bad guy, you know? I don't know what you think about that, but I, I had a lot of thoughts about that. And it made me think of the conversation with DJ and Finn because I think DJ does a really good job in The Last Jedi explaining how both sides uh, profit off of weapons and uh, buy weapons from the same people. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, DJ's whole philosophy is don't join. That's DJ. Like, I'm staying out of it. I mean, all of this even goes with Jin's great line in Rogue One where she's where Saw Guerrera says you can stand to see those imperial flags fly. And Jin says it's not a problem if you don't look up. And I think that all of this kind of comes down to you have to pick a side, even if both sides are at war with each other and you hate war. And I don't know. I feel like there's there's so much under <laughs> this this episode and those kind of conversations. I think that some people mistake the conversation in The Last Jedi with DJ and Finn with uh, DJ saying both sides are bad, so therefore both sides are bad. But what, what really the, the conflict is, is that both sides deal in war profiteering, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're equal. We know that the resistance, the rebellion are the good guys and the empire is the bad guy. You know, I think that in in these conversations, even we love to talk about heroes on both sides and everything, but even that conflict is different than the conflict that we're talking about right now in The Mandalorian. In heroes on both sides in, in The Clone Wars, they're caught up in a war that is uh, fake, mastermind by Palpatine. And there are heroes on both sides because everyone is affected by this mastermind and this grand plan. But at the end of the day, the evil is still Palpatine and the evil is still the thing who who rises from the chaos and the destruction that happens at the end of Order 66. And I think that that's, that's what this Imperial officer is saying here is that as they, you know, as the the New Republic is like squabbling and struggling and figuring it out, the Empire is in these places of hidden bases, which is the place that they're at right now, where 
we're, we are going to create these massive weapons and take advantage of the power grab when when we have the opportunity because things are going to expose themselves. I mean, creating a government and starting from scratch again is messy business. And it's an experiment and it continues. Uh, democracy needs to be uh, it's a it's a constant piece of work, right? And I think that uh, what the empire is saying here is that they're going to take advantage of that that messiness that is only necessary to take control and give people order. And we know that order is the first order. Yeah, I think this episode has the layers that it brings to mind are far reaching across the galaxy. Like you brought up so many examples of similarities to other characters. And I think it's so interesting, like the what you were saying about Finn and I, I was almost Finn, Din, DJ, um, Mayfeld, Jin. Oh <laughs> Finn, Jin, Jin. Oh my gosh. Um, no way. In the same conversation. I can't. I can't. Yeah. Um, Star Wars. Come on. More than one syllable names, please. <laughs> Let's prioritize that. Grogu, thank you for being two syllables. What you were talking about with Finn and DJ is so interesting about – because, like, from DJ's perspective, right, the only people that are really benefiting from the war in The Last Jedi and the sequel trilogy era is uh, the businesses, the people who manu- – like, manufacturers, the people who manufacture ships. They have no morals because they are giving to whoever is going to pay them. Right. And I think, like you were saying, it's easy to see the war as the bad thing and, and both sides are participating. So both sides are bad. And I think there is, there's truth in there. But the point of that whole through line is that Finn makes a choice at the end. He, that whole conversation with, with DJ opens his eyes to, to just how crazy things are. And the end of his character arc in The Last Jedi is to make the choice to wholeheartedly commit himself to the resistance to the point that he's willing to die for them, which is not where we found Finn at the beginning of The Last Jedi. He made the choice. He picked the quote-unquote good side. And I think which they are the good side. And I think it, this episode is so cool because now we get to put Mayfeld in this, I guess, kind of lineup of don't join people. <laughs> we have DJ. We had Finn for uh, a certain amount of time that didn't know really what – like his his choice was to leave the First Order. That was his choice. He didn't have allegiance to anyone else. And then we have Jin who isn't looking up at the Imperial flag, but then who also ends up making a choice at the end of it. Mayfeld isn't quite the same in that he hasn't decided to – like we don't really have a resistance or a rebellion that we're working with in The Mandalorian like we did in Rogue One and in The Last Jedi. But Mayfeld makes the choice that the Empire is evil and destroys that base when he gets the opportunity. And so he makes that choice too. And and when we're talking about like good and bad side, bad people within all of these organizations, within these political governments, I thought the the conversation that Mayfeld Mayfeld has with Hess, I think is that officer's name, where they're talking about the people who died in Operation Cinder, I think is what it was called. And Mayfeld says 10,000 people dead, were their deaths worth it? And Hess says, all heroes to the Empire. And Mayfeld says, dead heroes. And this immediately reminded me of Leia's lines to Poe in The Last Jedi, when Poe is so rash in his decision-making at the start of the film. And he said, you know, they were – and he lost pretty much their whole – 
squadron. And he said he's arguing with Leia. And he says there were heroes on that mission. And Leia says, yeah, dead heroes, no leaders. And I think it's I think it's really interesting to have similar conversations coming from with Mayfeld. It was Mayfeld is not the leader. Hess is the leader. Mayfeld was the the, the trooper. And then with Leia and Poe, it's the opposite. And we see how these kinds of conversations are playing out because someone like Mayfeld was just a, a cog in the machine. He got put in – and we don't know his whole backstory, so like who knows. But he worked for the Empire. Maybe he had no choice. And he says that in his conversation with Hess you know, do, or uh, to Din when he was talking about the war on Mandalore. He was like, all those wars the Mandalorians fought, do you really think all those people had a choice in it? Did they, did they really – did they believe in what they were fighting for or did they just not have a choice? And I think that it, I think it's so interesting and it's very layered and complicated, especially when we start comparing to all these other characters across Star Wars, the choices that they've made, the choices that they didn't make and how they talk about it. And I just I really love the parallel of this conversation between Hess and Mayfeld and Leia and Poe, because, you know, Poe is a good guy and he comes to understand what Leia meant by the end of The mm-hmm. Last Jedi. That's his character arc. Because before it was all about the mission. And that's what we see Hess spitting out to Mayfeld. Like they were heroes. And that's that's nothing compared to what we're going to do now. And Poe listens and understands one, what it takes to be a leader. Dead heroes, no leaders. And Mayfeld realizes that those are just empty words from Hess about heroes to the Empire. And then he shoots him. He enacts vengeance. I don't know. I think it's I think it's a really good episode and kind of in another direction, I guess, of like who we're rooting for in all of this. You know, we see Din and Mayfeld on the transport, right? And they're being attacked by the pirates. And in any other Star Wars story, we'd be rooting for the pirates <laughs> because they're going against the Empire. But in this moment, we don't we don't want them to win. We're okay with the pirates dying because that's what we need to get to baby Grogu. We are all prioritizing baby Grogu <laughs> over yeah. everything else here. But the pirates, like, they're probably from that planet. And Mayfield points out as they're driving through town, like you mentioned earlier, that conversation of Empire Republic, it's all the same to these people. We're just invaders on their land. And so those pirates are probably trying to get the invaders off their land. And Din and Mayfield are in opposition to that, not for the Empire. But there's still an opposition to that. And those people, the pirates' belief was that this was worth risking their lives to blow up the – what is it called? The Rhydonium. And then we see this, like, warm welcome from all these other Imperial officers and stormtroopers when Din and Mayfield arrive. And it's it reminded me of Lost Stars and, like we said, Resistance too. And I don't know, all of the cogs in the machine – are working for someone in power. It was so interesting because I, I I found myself being like cheering for the TIE fighters. I was like, yes, the TIE fighters are here. Yeah. They saved them. And I was like, oh my God, the, this is a cool thing that's happening for the audience right now where usually we're like, get those TIE fighters. Yeah. You know, and we're like, oh my God, yes, the TIE fighters are helping us in this moment. And the cheers, it's like, there's a lot of lingering that happens on the cheers from the stormtroopers. And I think that the audience is supposed to be like, wow, that's interesting. And this is a weird place that this uh, director is putting me in, the audience who's like, wants to cheer with them, you know? Yeah. It reminded me of 
the very end of A New Hope when Luke and Han come back yes. after blowing up the Death Star. And they're surrounded by cheers, too. Yeah. And I think that I had the same reaction about the pirates, too, where it's like, yeah, they're trying to get these people off their land and to stop drilling in their home, which is beautiful. You know, and I think that even the planet to me looked like uh, Southeast Asia or something like it even reminded me of Apocalypse Now to add some more context to this is I think that there's just like so many conflicts going on in this episode and I tried to list them and I thought it would be interesting to go through them. So we have Din versus his own beliefs. We have Mayfeld and his own pasts and demons. We have Din versus the Empire and by association Gideon. We have the fledgling Empire versus the struggling New Republic. We have the Pirates versus the Empire. And then we have even Kara versus Mayfeld and like all of these conflicts are happening against each other. And to me, it's like the most conflict-laden episode of the entire season, honestly. <laughs> Especially when you lay them out. And I'm sure I even missed a couple, you know? Yeah. And it, everyone is realigning their morals, including the audience. Of, yeah. I guess it's okay if the pirates die. Like, I want the pirates to not succeed in their mission here. Yeah. Because it's it like didn't lose it. Exactly. You're like weighing your association with the characters. And yeah. it's a weird place to be in. And I, I kind of like this like uncomfortableness that is being given to us um, by Rick, honestly. Yeah. I don't think you even realize it, though, when you're watching it. You're just like, didn't win. Didn't must win. <laughs> yeah. And, and I even think that the scene itself is almost um, – there's there's a lot of tension in that scene. I think it's brilliantly directed. It reminded me a ton of Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark with the uh, truck scene, which actually Rick even mirrored when Din was going against the Jawa Sandcrawler in uh, chapter two. Yeah. Same director. And it was like really similar in terms of filming styles. So I bet Rick is a huge fan of Raiders of the Lost Ark and like who isn't? <laughs> and I feel like the the truck scene is just some of the most brilliant. I've mentioned it before this season, too. It just keeps coming up. Uh, some of the most brilliant, like, physical uh, action scenes ever made in Star Wars. Oh, my God. Not in Star Wars. In, in movies. <laughs> cinema at large. <laughs> in cinema at large. I, I don't know. There's just, like, a lot of tension here, just like there's a lot of tension in Raiders of the Lost Ark. But I bring this up because I think that even with the pirates coming in they just like kept on coming and it was almost comical it was yeah. like wow they're they're never gonna go it was like a whack-a-mole situation yeah yeah it was really funny <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and i think that it was almost to the point of like there's a little bit of um cognitive dissonance that happens when you keep when they just keep appearing and you're like oh my god this is annoying like can they just go away you know yeah, yeah. When, when are we done yeah <laughs> Which i think i think was uh Din's reaction to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like in that moment, we relate. Well, we love Din, so we relate to Din. Okay. Let's talk about, because we haven't really talked about it, but let's talk about Pedro without the mask. Oh my God. Okay. Let's do it. A cutie. A baby. A, cutie, a baby. A, a sad softie, boy. Yeah. <laughs> like truly the emoji of like the sad, like cute eyes face. Yeah. I don't know. I, like, why did they have to make him so cute? He's just such a cutie underneath that mask. It's it's absurd. They really, when when they peel it back, it's like, oh, he's such a softie. He's like, it's so completely nice. different. It's completely it's different. So different. It's so different. It's so interesting. I think, you know, now that this is the second time we've seen Din without his mask and seen quite a bit of him doing stuff without his mask, um, I'm struck by the fact that each time we've seen it, the predominant emotion that I've read is one of fear 
from Din as a character when he takes off the mask. And it's such contrast to what we know the Mandalorian as, what we know Din is capable of and what he can do. But suddenly the mask is off and all of that is just instantly gone. That protective cover of who he is, his emotions, um, all of it is immediately gone. And I think it was really great to spend time with with Din without his mask on in this episode because, of course, we saw him and IG-11 at the end of last season, but that was when he thought he was going to die. And then it kind of turned into kind of a bit of comedy <laughs> of IG-11 being like, it's literally just a scrape on the back of your head. Like, please let me fix it for you. <laughs> and Din was like, oh. <laughs> but this episode, I think we really get to see just how scared Din is of the mission failing, of losing Grogu, and now of his identity being out there. When honestly, him without the mask is the best undercover they, they'll probably ever have because no one knows him. And he's been wearing a mask for perhaps decades at this point. And they make a point at the beginning of the episode to talk about, you know, if your face shows up on any from any New Republic registers or Imperial registers, they'll kill you on sight. And everyone is like, well, they've got me, they got me, they got me. And then we had that great line from Boba of like, let's just say they'll recognize my face. <laughs> so good. <laughs> I cackled. I cackled. Me too. I, like, I actually didn't catch it the first time. I was like, oh, okay. I, I The first time I was like, oh, it's because he's like a notorious bounty hunter. And then I was like, oh, it's because he's literally cloned. <laughs> <laughs> <That's so funny. laughs> but they make it a point to say how all of them can't fly under the radar here. And Din is the only one who can. And that's the of how how far are you willing to go? What belief of yours is taking priority here? And the way and we we've seen throughout the entire series of people respecting and questioning, but overall respecting Din's choices, the people that he's closest to of, I guess, like his modesty with his helmet and him, you know, changing behind a wall today into the the trooper's armor and everyone just kind of waiting for him outside and then um you know with uh omera uh back in chapter four of last season of bringing him his food so that he can eat alone and stuff like that you know like everyone is pretty respectful of what his beliefs are and mayfeld points out you know I don't think you can keep that here, not with what we're trying to do. And I don't know. I thought it was really great. And I, I love Mayfield telling him at the end of the episode, you did what you had to do. I didn't see. I never saw your face. And I love it's, – it's like this kind of absolution for Din of it's okay. Like you're forgiven in a way for breaking your creed that you've literally held above everything else for forever <laughs> and I feel like Din probably needed that too I don't know I think it's I thought it was really good but Pedro's mat like acting in that moment was so amazing and there was this um someone tweeted this thread from Reddit of talking about just how great and detailed Pedro was in this scene and I, if it's okay I'll read it because I feel like this person 
describes it a lot better. And these were details I didn't notice the first time I watched the episode and took with me into the second watch and made it even better. And this is from Jay Blitzen in the Mandalorian Reddit thread. And they said, watch carefully and you'll notice that Pedro never uses his peripheral vision when he cares about what he's looking at. In this moment, it would be normal for his head to face a little to the left, but he's looking at Bill straight on. This is uh, when they're when he has his mask off in the the mess hall, just as he would in the helmet. Bill looks back at him but doesn't keep his head straight the same way, so you can compare it to the immediate next cut, the way Bill is looking at him while facing a little to the right. That's normal, but Pedro doesn't do that. A moment before, he's looking at the table while the officer talks and then looks straight at Bill, almost off camera. After Bill's shot, he turns and looks straight at the trooper behind him, turning his entire body so he can turn his head to look straight at the trooper. Far as I can tell, he stays in character through the whole sequence, always pointing his head directly where he's looking. The strangest bit is when Bill hands him the helmet and he looks down at it. But he doesn't just look down at it. He looks down at it with his entire head like a bird. It's very unnatural unless you've worn a helmet your whole life. Honestly, brilliant acting and direction. They care very much about this character and that helps us care about him too. And I thought that was such a good point and um, really enhanced that scene for me because it's true. Pedro, like his entire head and body move together and everything is uh, more obvious and awkward. Whereas when he's actually wearing the mask, it's more intimidating and sinister, but without it, it's a completely different vibe. And even I thought it was funny too. I didn't notice this until the second rewatch, but in the very beginning when they're in the transport, Mayfell takes off his helmet and is like, Oh, I can't see anything in this. Yeah. (laughs) But that's how Din has been living his life. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Din's like, welcome to my world. Like, okay. <laughs> and I think that Mayfield says that almost to test him, you know, to open up the conversation about how do you even see in this? How do you even do this? Because this is just absurd. And I think that, I don't know, I found myself thinking even about how the Stormtrooper armor has always kind of looked like Mandalorian armor, which comes from Jango Fett and all those linkages and how all of that is kind of um, subtly there too, you know. Um, I also like what you just read is so fascinating to me because I also didn't really notice that. And I felt like the moment he took off his helmet in this episode, even without reading that sort of understanding of the quote mask acting, um, I felt like the audience like sits straight up in their chair because we're studying every movement of this man's face because we haven't seen it at all, you know? And I think that even by studying it even more and having this in the back of my mind about like, yes, he doesn't use his peripheral vision at all. If he does, it's very slight and very small and it's usually with a turn of his head. And I think that it is just so brilliant because we are so zeroed in on that. And I just feel like that's probably something that Pedro and Rick and John and Dave all talked about, about what this sort of reveal is going to be like. And, you know, I still sort of feel like we're we're going to see Din unmask in front of Grogu because this step in this episode, The Believer, was made. And I I feel like I feel that even more so than I did in the last episode now because of the way this episode was crafted to really test the boundaries of beliefs and unmasking. And I just felt like there was so much foreshadowing in this episode where it was like very clear to me that in at least in this particular episode, Din would be in the position that he was going to have to take off his mask just from the very beginning of the conversations, you know? Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if Din has to – this is the question, right? So 
if Din realizes that his face is actually his biggest disguise when he goes on to the Imperial, when he goes to get Grogu on Gideon's ship or something like that, if he gets to Grogu without his mask, will Grogu recognize that it's Din? I think he will because of the Force. And that's adorable. I think he will too, but then part of me wonders if he won't because something has happened to Grogu. I'm very much on this like Grogu – like something very, very bad has happened to Grogu. The disappearance of him in this episode, even like from Gideon's perspective or anything, is sus. And it's It's – it's it's concerning. I said that in the beginning of the show. I still feel it through this conversation. And I agree with you that maybe at the end of this season, there's going to be some sort of change. Like Din, you know, makes this huge, basically religious sacrifice to show his face in order to retrieve Grogu. And then Grogu is a changed, you know. Yeah. Baby. I mean, I, I was going to say changed person. And I was like, this is, this is weird. Yes. Changed yeah. child. I mean, we saw what he did to the stormtroopers when he was taken by Gideon. We've seen what he's done to uh, other characters uh, last season, too, with this like bit of darkness in him. And uh, Ahsoka even points it out in the episode that he has fear and his attachment is uh, troublesome or he has like a lot of dark side in him. Fear is what she says. And Din is like, that's why you should train him. And she's like, that's why I can't. And everyone is like, what? <laughs> Din is like, wait, what? <laughs> and then we're like, wait, what? What, yeah. <laughs> what does this all mean? <laughs> I think that I it could just like that could he could be very happy to see Din, but I I am very cautious of what next week's ending will actually bring us as far as reunions and happy endings but I'm wondering if it was maybe a darker ending and then John and Dave this were you know 2020 has been pretty dark maybe we should lighten it up just a little bit Mm -hmm. (laughs) and maybe 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 there were some baby Grogu reshoots (laughs) not to mention we still don't know who's directing the next episode and I'm just going to put it out on the podcast that it's been whispered, you know, that it was it hasn't this hasn't been rumored, but I think this has been um, fan speculation about whether or not George Lucas might come back to the director's chair. Can you imagine if George no. directs like, a really dark ending? That <laughs> would really blow me away. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I mean, Revenge of the Sith. But so. that's not really a dark ending. It's a bittersweet ending, <laughs> you know? I mean, it's a dark ending. It's, it's a dark the, ending, the but it has not, been plunged into disarray. It's not a uh, cliffhanger that I expect from this ending because I still deeply believe this is gathering of the allies, an ordeal, or like we're getting close to the ordeal, or we're in the midst of the ordeal, and the 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 cliffhanger is going to be a problem. And like be- because last season we ended on you know, a really beautiful ending of sacrifice and redemption. And it was it was a really good ending, you know, with like a, a really great cliffhanger that left us wanting more. But this time, I feel like in the second season, we we go a little bit darker. Um, I, maybe I'm wrong, but that's kind of what I expect. And I, I, I don't I don't know. It'll be really interesting if it is George Lucas. I'm just putting that out there. That'll be an uh, interesting one for him to direct, I think. 
also I don't know if that's even possible it's probably just going to be John Favreau but I <laughs> I, I feel like you put I, it I like there. you put it and now people people have expectations now I know and that's that's what sucks but I do feel like it's fun speculation and I wanted to kind of immortalize it here on the podcast that yeah George keeps coming up to that set you know he did he did some direction in solo let's give him a whole episode <laughs> I would be I would be so surprised. I feel like it would take a lot for We're George. not gonna even know until the, the credits come up at the end and we're just gonna be like blown away in our seats or we'll immediately know. <laughs> Somehow we'll know. <laughs> I just I, it feels I would be so surprised if George did that. Um just given so much of his relationship to Star Wars. I know. You know, the good, the good and the bad parts of that. I mean, then he would have to, like, be paid by Lucasfilm again. I don't know. It's just, like, it's so messy. It's like a pro bono <laughs> situation. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I guess it is. But I'm also, like, should it be? Can you do that? Can you just no. be pro bono as a director? No. <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. It, it opens up a lot of weird questions. But I'm here for it. I think it's fun speculation. And yeah. if it happens, whoo, that would be crazy. And I, I – I miss George's directing. Like, I know that uh, we've talked about this before, but, you know, when he left Lucasfilm, he was like, I'm so excited to do, like, experimental projects and fun, weird stuff and things that I want to do. And honestly, he hasn't really done that much of that. And I wouldn't hate to see him back at all. I'd actually love it. So. Yeah, I would too. That would be crazy. We'd be more likely to see him maybe even on the Ahsoka series. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, Actually. So who knows? Who knows? It's definitely good speculation. Uh, yeah. And would we would we even know it when we're watching it? That's really That's the thing. The question. <laughs> How good are we? <laughs> well, now we're going to be watching the next episode with that in mind. Even yeah. If, Is this because George? we won't know no. when we Is watch it. George? it. Is it George? No. Is it George? Is it not George? George? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I also have to say, just I, I kind of feel like we're wrapping up here, but I – continue to really love Fennec. I'm glad she is on this journey with us. I love her costume so much. I said this last week too, but I just enjoy seeing her around and doing stuff and kicking butt. Yeah, totally. And I also think it's really cool that in the, you know, on fr- on Thursday, we saw the Bad Batch sizzle reel, the new animated show that's coming to Disney Plus. Um, and Fennec was in it, I guess. Like it hasn't been confirmed, but I'm pretty sure it's Fennec. I don't know who else it could be. And I think that when she mentions that the Empire knows who she is and she's wanted by the Empire, it made me think about the Bad Batch and her story there and whether we're going to get an exploration of that there. And I think that's a really cool possibility. Yeah, me too. I would be very much into that. And yeah, I I really like Fennec and I'm glad she's here. So I'm excited to see what she does next week too. Yeah, I love her. Her outfit is so cool. Do you think they'll go and pick up Grief? in route Uh, to Gideon I don't know I really have no idea I really I'm like is Bo-Katan coming back like who's who's gonna help and Um, we still have has anyone did is anyone coming who answered Grogu on the seeing stone I know if that's what if he did actually call out to someone I've tweeted this but I just want to put that out there that if Grogu sees someone from the Jedi and it's like a ghost or some sort of mystical figure that's not living I wonder if it could possibly be Tar Vizsla, who was the first Jedi Mandalorian, um, 
just because I feel like that would be more relevant to the storyline of The Mandalorian. I mean, I, I just don't know who he's going to see at all, if he, if anyone is going to answer the call. Uh, but I was thinking about that, and it kind of made me a little excited thinking about that, like that that whole possibility and the uh, the connections there since Tar Vizsla was the first um, person to wield the Darksaber. So it all kind of comes together and all those uh, all those things are sort of mentioned in this series. So it feels relevant. I said that it should be the Force Priestesses from the Yoda arc. That would and- be so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I love them. I think yours uh, makes a lot of sense, but mine is a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> mine is fun too, okay? Yours is fun too, but yours is, yours is like serious. <laughs> and I'm like, let's get the freaky Force Priestesses back with their changing faces. I love them. They're so I cool. Do. They're very cool. They're very cool. But I do think it would be it would be really great if it is Tarfizla and that connection with the Mandalorians and the Jedi is further solidified. I think it's a good theory. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Another thing I wanted to bring up is I love the music in this episode. I usually don't notice the music right away, but I definitely notice it in this time. And I think in every episode Rick has done, there's this undertone of hip hop beats that you know is just part of the the soundtrack and I love it. I I think it's so fun and cool and I don't know if you noticed it, but I definitely did. I don't know if I noticed hip hop beats. I have to go back and listen to it. It's funny because when I was watching this episode, it felt even with that uh Indiana Jones action scene with the pirates and stuff, the music felt more like action film. It reminded me of the type of music we would see in Indiana Jones in an action scene too, more uh, orchestral almost, at least in that juncture at that point in the episode. So I'll have to go back and listen for the music more explicitly. But I thought that the music that they did in The Prisoner was so great because each – I remember being so blown away by it because each prisoner had their own – calling card in the soundtrack um and there's a scene in the prisoner where they're dropping through onto the prison ship like through a a hole in the ceiling and each prisoner that drops right when they land they get this new like of music that is unique to each of them and then the last one is the mandalorian's calling card of his i can't do it Uh, so I, I remember being really impressed by that in the last, in Rick's last episode. And this one too has been, uh, has been great. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. This was a good episode. It was, it was. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And, uh, let's get ready for next week for the finale. Oh my God. I'm not ready. I'm not ready either. All right. Well, I think that is going to wrap up this week's episode all about Chapter 15, The Believer. This is a great episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it and are equal parts looking forward to and dreading what will come in the season finale next week. I know I am and Charlotte is too. But if you want to find us online, you can find us on Twitter at SkytalkersPod or our personal handles. Mine is at Caitlin Plusher and Charlotte's is at Clarity. We also have our website, skytalkers.com, our Instagram, and our Facebook page. And if you would like to leave us a review on iTunes and help other people find our show, we would really appreciate it if you took a few seconds to go and give us a five-star rating. And if you're interested in other ways to support us, you can head on over to our Patreon and check out our reward tiers there and become a part of our fabulous Discord. I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons, Levi. Nora, Sarah, John, Stephanie, Tom, Jonathan, Martin, Bethany, Talking Bay 94, Talia, 
Anton, Daniela, Alyssa, Heidi, Timothy, Kitty, Emily, Adam, Emma, John, and Dylan. Thank you so much for supporting us. Yes, thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Thank you.